you have your Bibles, let's open them to Exodus chapter 32. This is the eighth and final message in our series, The Wilderness, where God shapes his people. Now, to let you know where we're going, because we start a new next week. Next week, Rob's gonna begin our fall series, and that'll actually be a fall and winter series, by introducing the most important sermon ever preached. What sermon do you think that might be? The Sermon on the Mount. Now, we, we, we had planned on going to a gospel, and we planned on going to the Gospel of Matthew. Y'all, when we got to the Gathering and we began to outline Matthew, we thought, we hit the Sermon on the Mount, and we thought, you cannot get through this in 30 weeks. You can't get through the Sermon on the Mount. And so I believe this is of the Spirit, starting next Sunday and taking us all the way up to Easter, we will be doing a verse-by-verse biblical exposition of Matthew 5, 6, and 7. I am super excited that we will just simply sit and we'll listen to the words of Jesus when he says, this is what wholehearted life in me means. This is what it means to follow me. And I'm terrified (laughs) that we will sit and listen to Jesus say, this is what it means to follow me. Now, to, to, to get you as terrified as I am, here's what I want to ask you to do. Sometime this week, carve out, you know, really 10, 15 minutes, if that. Now, if, you, if you're speed reading, it'll go a lot faster, but, but to read Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Now, before you read it, though, I want you to do this. I want you to take your Bible, open to Matthew 5, and then say, Jesus, would you show me what it means to follow you? And then read Matthew 5, 6, and seven. You will not find Jesus asking you to think about something. You will find Jesus telling you what to do. It is about your actions. <laughs> it's about the doing. And feel the weight and the goodness of his words. One cannot understand the Sermon on the Mount and be unchanged. Can't do it. And it's the same for this study we're in. Back to our study here, the wilderness where God shapes his people, the lessons they're learning in their wilderness, okay? Paul says those were written so that in our wilderness and wildernesses, we too would respond in faith. And in so responding, God actually shapes our hearts more and more into the image of Christ. This is part two of the message Rob began last week. So we're just picking up part two of all this, these events in Exodus 32 around Mount Sinai where Moses is receiving the 10 commandments. And y'all, not just the 10, the 613, the blueprints for the tabernacle. In other words, the constitution for how we're gonna be a people of God and we're gonna relate to God and one another. Moses is up on the mountain. Here's the context of where we've been and where this story's gonna unfold. Moses up on the mountain, people down on the bottom, people down on the bottom get impatient. And they say to Aaron, make us a God that we may worship. And they do. Rob mentioned that the making of idols does not have to be the making of a golden calf. No, we make idols when we put our trust in something other than God 
for ultimate satisfaction. We make an idol. Put our trust in something other than God that we believe will be our ultimate satisfaction. He made, Rob made a profound statement. Man, it arrested me when he said it. He said, your quest for fullness of life explains every decision you have ever made. Now you gotta stop on that one. Wait, wait so your quest for fullness of life explains every decision you have ever made. Gang, made in the image of God, humans made in the image of God, we were made, we, we, God put it in us to long for that which is eternal, that matters, that's significant. It, 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 it's, it's within us. The fall of humanity didn't remove that longing. See, the, all the fall did was it bent our souls. And so now our souls, rather than going to God to satisfy the eternal longing, and only an eternal being can satisfy the eternal longing, we now go to that which is not eternal, to satisfy an eternal longing. Does that make sense? So we still have that longing. It's just our souls have been bent now. And so we go to idols. Our hearts, he said, are idol factories and the production line has never been disrupted. And here we find the Israelites, when we last left them, they were drinking and partying, quite frankly, they were worshiping, but it's, it's playing in the ESV. It's this sexual connotations around this, worshiping this golden calf. And in that moment, don't you, you know, think about it. In the moment we see them down at the bottom worshiping, they think this is what we were made for. But nothing could be further, further from the truth. And that's where we're gonna pick up the story. And, and we're gonna be privy to one of the most strange and intimate conversations God ever has with a human being. And in that conversation, as we unpack it, we, we actually get the lesson and we get the ground of our hope. We get, we come to understand that which alone can satisfy our deepest longing. So, we're in verses seven through 14. That's what we're gonna take in this section. There's two parts to it. The first part is God's invitation. And the second part is, God, is Moses' intercession. There's an invitation, then there's an intercession. And you'll, I'll explain the invitation here at the beginning. Let's start with the invitation. It's verses seven through uh, 11, seven through 10. I'm gonna take a verse at a time on this part. Verse seven, and the Lord said to Moses, go down for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. Do you, do you hear that? Your people. You, you, you read it and you kind of want to go, this is like parents do. Your kids just did, the, your kids leave their room and you go, wait, what are my kids? I thought they were our kids. That's not what's happening here. So step away from that. God is not petty. What's happening here is what Rob talked about two weeks ago. God has so determined to redeem humanity through a person. That, that's what's happening. Story of redemption, Genesis Revelation. How's God gonna save people? And early in this story, we're way early, we're in Exodus. God is showing the people and us now that he is not gonna save humanity unilaterally on his own. That, that he's actually gonna, can I say this? He's gonna bind himself to another human being to achieve the redemption. Ooh, hold that 
thought. Verses eight and nine, he continues. They've turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshiped it and sacrificed to it and said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people and behold, it is a stiff neck people. There's a contrast here that, that we want to grab. Notice God says they have quickly, like boom, and they have walked away from what I told them. But from the people's perspective, what did they say? Exodus 32.1. God is so slow. Moses is, oh my gosh, when is he? Aaron, make an idol. You, you see the deep contrast there between God's perspective is they've quickly turned aside and the people's perspective is God's dragging his feet. If idol worship is their besetting sin, and it is, We've said this often, behind every sin, okay, but, but if that's their sin, behind every sin is a sin behind the sin. And behind the sin of making an idol is the sin of impatience. And, and I'm saying to myself, I said, well, what did I just say? Wait, am I, are you saying impatience is a sin? I'm saying impatience is sin. Well, how can you say impatience is sin? Well, because impatience is rooted in unbelief. And anything not of faith is sin. Unbelief is sin. Think about Abraham and Sarah. What was it not impatient? You know, he, they, they, she had, he had, they took matters into their own hands and Hagar, you know, Abraham went into Hagar to have the child rather than Sarah. Well, they got impatient and acted on their own. I'm telling you, produce a nation that is a thorn in their side to this day. How about some of you remember the story of Saul. Samuel had told Saul, the first king of Israel, go and you're gonna do this battle, but then you need to wait seven days till I come. And then I, the priest, you see, and prophet will do the sacrifice. You're not allowed to do the sacrifice. Everything happens. One, two, three, four, seven days. Samuel has not shown up. What does Saul do? Saul makes the sacrifice. As soon as he's done, Samuel shows up. And do you know, you know what that cost Saul? Literally, it cost him the kingdom. It's after that impatience, Samuel says that your kingdom will not last. Do a Bible search sometime, some of your software maybe, on, on the word wait in your Bible. I'm telling you, you will have more than you bargained for. Wait on the Lord. Isaiah 41, 31, they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. You remember that familiar passage or Psalm 27, 14. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Y'all, if, if I did that Bible search and right now I just started reading all the passages that say wait on the Lord, I could read and I would, I would, we would end the service and I would still be reading. I couldn't fit them all in. See, to wait on the Lord, here, here's, let's back up and say, okay, well, how do, how, how's the way? To, to, to wait on the Lord is to trust his character and his promises. To trust his character and his promises more than the circumstances around me that I think, no, this is gonna work, this is gonna work, I'm gonna, I'm gonna end up dead, this is gonna happen, I can't do that, I gotta take care of it. No, it's to say, I'm gonna trust his character and his promises. Um, I could say it another way, to, to, to wait, to be patient is ultimately 
about giving up control. Ooh, now, okay. <laughs> Let me tell you why I'm impatient. Because I have trouble being, not being in control. Exactly. Which explains why we do have trouble with waiting. And I have to believe this in the room, online. I'm not thinking of any particular person per se, but someone's sitting here listening to this and waiting. And I want to say to you, and I want to say to you, Moses is not delayed, i.e., God is not delayed. You can wait, trusting his character and his promise by the power of his spirit. Okay, verse 10, we're still in this invitation and here it comes, verse 10, now therefore let this God speaking, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. This is one of those verses, boy, that biblical scholars, you know, have written about and studied for thousands of years. I'm gonna say the, the, the best conservative evangelical scholarship that I've studied and found in this understands this statement from God, not as a command to leave me alone, but as, you know, God speaks to Moses as a friend, the Bible says, and there's something happening strange here, and I don't fully understand it, that it's an invitation for Moses to actually engage and step into his role as a mediator more fully. A mediator. The one who stands between the two opposing parties and mediates them. I'll unpack it here and help us. I think it'll help us understand it. I'm telling you, God has pulled back the curtain here in a, in a way that's fascinating. Fascinating to see. I'm gonna take verses 11 through 14. Follow along in your Bibles. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, oh Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out? Here's, it's you, you know whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand. Why should the Egyptians say with evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and all this land that I have promised, I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. Verse 14, and the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. I am going to take this passage and, and much as I did two weeks ago, I'm just gonna diagram it, if you will, visually. Let's just visually see what's happening. And, and when, we, when we do that, it, it's, this is gonna be very simple, but what we see is there's God at the mountain. There are the people. And think of this, they're separated God, why are they separated? Well, because God is holy and the people are sinful. Between a holy God and a sinful people, there is a man, Moses. 
Now, I, I want to keep this visualized because it, it, it explains so much as we, as we begin to land the plane. I hope this gets even clearer. God's holy people, sinful, the wages of sin is death. A just and holy God will rightfully punish evil and, and rid, destroy evil. This is what God does. So God's holy wrath is coming down on the people. <laughs> That's what's happening in the story. Now, God, Moses as mediator, it gets even clearer. Look in your Bibles one more time at verse 30. We're jumping out of the text we, we were in, but this is a part of the whole story. Verse 30 says, the next day Moses said to the people, you have sinned a great sin. And now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, alas, this people has sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now, if you will forgive their sin, so atonement and forgiveness, they have, they're, they're interconnected. If you'll forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out. Take me out of your book that you have written. <laughs> Moses steps in between the holy God and the sinful people and he intercedes. Notice his intercession is based on God's character. God, look, if you destroy them, then, then, then your name, your character, you can say your glory, will, the, the Egyptians will, will diminish it and say, you know what, he, was, he's, he, he wasn't strong enough to deliver them. In fact, he got so mad at them, he just squashed them out and, and, and they'll treat you like they treat their own gods. Don't do that, God, based on his character. And then he bases his intercession on the promise. God, you made a promise to Abraham. And in that promise, you said you would through Abraham make a nation, give him a land, and through that, that people, the whole world would be blessed. And you swore by your own name. What's that mean? Well, when we make promises, we make our promises based on someone greater than us, you know, to say, my promise is as good as this great person. Well, there's no one greater than God, so he can make no promise greater than to himself and based upon himself. And if there's anything that's impossible, you all, it is that God would break his promise. Now, notice his character and his promise. This is the same basis by which we wait. <laughs> Moses pleads on their behalf. God heard his prayer. And in verse 14, it says, and the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. Now, in the story, I'm not gonna go through this, but if you read the story, several thousand people did die. Sin has its consequences. But the whole was not wiped out, okay? Which would have been just of God to do. Moses steps in as mediator and says, in essence, take me. Do you know what? 
is, is interesting to me. God says, no. So in other words, Moses says, you know, sin deserves death. It must be penalized. To, to, to make atonement, big word, but it, 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 it's simply this. Think of it as at one meant. At one meant. What do you mean at one? It means at one, which means, oh, there was something that was at two <laughs> that is now made at one. In other words, there was God and humanity, one. Sin broke that. So now there's two and there's something that has to be done to make at one again. What needs to be done? Moses said it. You've got, got it. You've got to forgive their sin. <laughs> and Moses says, so, so sin must, must be paid for. All sin, the wages of sin is death. All sin must be paid for. The separation from God. God, you, it must be paid for. Let me pay for it. And what does God say? No. Instead, God, through the book of Exodus and throughout, says, you know, no, uh, you're, gonna, you're gonna take a male lamb and once a year, you're gonna take a perfect, unblemished male lamb and you're gonna slit its throat and its blood is gonna pour out because life is in the blood. And rather than destroy all the people, I will cover over their sin and I will accept the blood of the unblemished lamb to cover over that sin for a year. But by golly, at this time in the next year, you do it again and you do it again. It was a day called the day of what? It was the day of atonement for this nation, for these people. If God had said yes to Moses, can I tell you what would have happened? Moses would have been separated from God how long? Forever. Because Moses would have had to pay for his own sin. And the sins of the people would not have been forgiven because Moses would have been having to pay for his own. And so God graciously gives them, look, we're talking about Genesis all the way to the gospels, gives them this, the structure by which they can live with him, kill the unblemished lamb once a year. And here's where we've come to the lesson in this story. And here's where I'm gonna say, just fold up your Bibles, set your notes aside, and let's land the plane. And I'll do it by finishing this drawing. God is holy, the people are sinful. Moses, the mediator, steps in. The reason that God says no to Moses is while he's an excellent mediator, he's not a sinless mediator. What they did not realize at this time, Moses will tell them, in Deuteronomy 15, he says to the people, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you. Listen to him. <laughs> We're back here in Deuteronomy. We're a long ways from the gospels, you see. Moses <coughs> is saying, 
God's gonna raise up a prophet like, and they've looked for him for thousands of years. Are you the prophet? Are you the one that Moses promised? So from Mount Sinai, we can fast forward to another mountain where God is holy and the people are sinful. We've just crossed thousands of years. And now on this mountain called Calvary, there is a cross, there is another person, but it's Jesus, the sinless son of God. The book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus is the greater Moses. How is he the greater Moses? He's sinless. What Moses could not do, Jesus does. Moses, can we say it this way? Moses was the shadow people. This is the book of Hebrews. Jesus is the substance. Moses was pointing to Jesus. When God's wrath against sin was poured out on Jesus, his wrath was satisfied. Sin's penalty was paid, not in part, not by unblemished lambs to cover over, but in full. The whole payment was made. How do we know the whole payment was made? Because Jesus bore the penalty, but the penalty couldn't hold him ultimately. Three days later, he rose from the grave. Why? Could Jesus rise from the grave when Moses or any other human being would remain in it? This is not a trick question because Jesus was sinless, had no sin of his own. God being just and righteous would be neither just nor righteous if he allowed death to hold a sinless Man, no, Jesus died in our place. And here's the lesson of every wilderness, every wilderness. In every wilderness of life, we need a greater Moses. And he has come in the person of Jesus. If you have never put your trust in Jesus, that his life, his death, his resurrection was for you. Can I be as compassionate but as clear as I can possibly be? Understand God's wrath is rolling down upon you like a giant bowling ball to take out not just the pins but the whole bowling alley. I mean, his wrath is coming down on those who are sinful. And you can take the penalty yourself you can, you, you get to choose. You, you get to choose, I, I'll t- pay the penalty and you will and you'll be separated from God forever. Or before you die, you can say, oh, Jesus, I'm trusting that you took the wrath for me. And when he did on Calvary, you all, he took it all. There's, no, there's, no, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So may I say, 
If you've never put your trust in Christ, here in the room, online, adult, child, been going to church forever, but you never put your trust in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, I implore you, trust Jesus right now. Tell Jesus that you believe that he died on the cross for your sins, was buried and rose again, and he did it for you, and he did it at Calvary. There's a, there's a pray live button online. Click the button, someone will talk to you. I will talk to you. Email me if you're in the room. You, you wanna talk you about, you wanna put your trust in Christ and not sure how, I'd be glad to talk to you. L. Shadrach at fbctn.org. L. Shadrach at fbctn.org. That's the most important lesson of the wilderness. We need a greater Moses. And Jesus is that greater Moses. Let's take the cup and the bread. At home, get your elements out. Here in the room, we are taking our portable Lord's table. And with the bread in hand, the Lord Jesus Christ on the night in which he was betrayed said, this is my body. This is symbolic of the person Jesus who on Calvary gave his body up. It was broken for us. Lord Jesus, we give thanks that you are the greater Moses. The one Moses said, listen to him. And we listen. And we believe that you indeed were broken that we might not have to be and suffer the penalty of sin. We give thanks, take and eat. And he took a cup of wine. We have the cup of juice. And Jesus says, this is my blood shed. This is the new covenant. Now look at our picture again. Look at the picture once again. There's the old covenant. That's what's being constituted on Mount Sinai. And then you all, there is the new covenant. That's what's occurring on Calvary. We hold the new covenant. Life is in the blood. Jesus gave his life that we might never be separated from the Father because of our sin. He paid the penalty. And Lord Jesus, we give thanks for your blood shed, your life poured out, suffering the death we deserve that we may never suffer that death of separation from the Father. We give thanks, Lord Jesus. Take and drink.